0: So when I, when I when I talk to you, I can use the name Tavis. Absolutely. Okay. And I can use okay. the name, the Reverend Doctor Beaky.
1: <laughs> Joel. I mean, you can uh, you can call me whatever you want. I don't know what's proper. Well, I'll I'll
0: call you Joel as I normally do, unless you want something else. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. You sure? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Joel, uh, thank you so much for meeting with me, sitting and talking with me about uh, family worship. I love to talk about family worship (laughs) Yes, I know, I've heard this and in fact um, we have a few resources that you've made to this end that I believe have stemmed down of your own personal practice with your family but also your many years pastoring uh, but also your study of the Puritans these are all the different types of things I want to talk about with you but um, I think I want to start with just the the basic question,
1: what is family worship? Yeah. Family worship is a daily, intentional, sustained exercise of devotion, of reading scripture, of prayer, of discussing what you read, and singing the Mm. Psalms or the hymns of God. Uh, with your family, with the purpose of training them day by day by day so that you actually end up talking with your children about every subject under the sun and bring them this whole book, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the book of books, um, in a practical way at their level, asking questions, them dialoguing back with you so that the family every day is speaking openly about the things of God so
0: you mentioned the book and um, it's a big book Is, I mean the Bible takes most of us maybe a year if not more to get through once and those of us who are faithful maybe are quicker than that but how, how in the world could one man or even one mother um, take that entire book to their children especially considering the fact that a lot of times when when the family is being led in worship, it's at a time when the children are young and they may not have a full comprehension.
1: Yes, yeah, so in a practical way, what I suggest to parents is when the children are very young, say pre-eight years old, that you do select portions of Scripture each day there are certain Bible books that are almost full of stories that work for very young children, like Genesis is a great book to do with your family, even when they're very young. Uh, the parables, the miracles, the, 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 the Gospels. But I wouldn't take a, a five-year-old through Ezekiel, for example. Uh, I would you know, use some wisdom there. But once children are eight, nine, that area, I think... With proper explanation and using what we call the Family Worship Bible Guide, I think you can walk them through uh, the whole Bible. Remembering what J.C. Ryle said that a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. Mm. But what is it about? So we have three editions now
0: of the Family Worship Bible Guide. I think this uh, True Tone is the newest and. What is it about this resource in particular that, well, it sounds like you're pretty excited about it from the discussions we've had before, even just before this recording. Um, What is it about this resource that makes it unique and why should families consider using this versus just diving into the Bible as it is?
1: Well, if you can just dive into the Bible as it is, and as a father, you can spend time preparing what you're going to say to your children, Uh, that's great. I mean, that's wonderful. But my experience has been working with different uh, fathers, working with different churches, speaking on family worship in a few dozen different countries around the world, that those fathers are very few and far between. Uh, I'm I'm thinking less than 1% of a congregation. But I do know that I have spoken with fathers who get up early in the morning. They spend 30, 45 minutes preparing for family worship that evening. Praise the Lord. Mm. But most fathers end up quitting. And then what they end up doing is, well, they'll read a few verses from the Bible. They'll have a short prayer with their children. They might even sing. But there'll be no dialogue because they don't feel ready. What do you say after you read Ezekiel 44? You know, so... What happened, actually, was about a dozen years ago, um, I got together with Dr. Michael Barrett, who then was in South Carolina, and he was telling me that he just really felt burdened to do a KJV Bible study note system, because no KJV version of the Bible had notes that were actually Reformed in their theology, mm. and I really resonated with that. But I said to him, "I feel a real need to uh, write in an actual Bible not only the notes, but behind the notes to have a little section where fathers could read that little section to their children and have those those comments." Uh, conclude with a question to generate family discussion. And so he liked that idea. But then we decided, ah, oh, man, that's too much work. This is going to take years and years. So I said, well, let me talk to Dr. Bilkus here at Puritan Reformed Seminary. If you're willing to do the Old Testament, Dr. Barrett, because that's a specialty, and Dr. Bilkus is willing to supervise the New Testament, I'm willing to be the general editor of the whole thing. And... Uh, I got to Dr. Bilkus, and he was struggling with the same thing. So it was almost like it was a God thing. You know, all three of our minds were were going similar. So we produced the KJV, Reformation Heritage KJV study Bible, with solid Reformed notes, with um, uh, family worship sections at the end of each chapter which I think is unique in all Bible studies. I know of none, others. And then what happened was a lot of people wanted to use the family worship section, but weren't using the King James Version. So we extracted the family worship sections, and and we put it in this book, Family Worship Bible Guide, which looks pretty short, but it's actually 856 pages, because it's on onion-thin paper. And it gives you two or three Major thoughts from each Bible chapter. That's the goal. And usually most of them end with a question. Mm. So what we're doing in the family worship Bible guide is we're saying we're going to give you the main, the main takeaways from that chapter that we think would be good for you to discuss with your children. And then we like to encourage the, say, if you're the father and you're reading those questions, those comments, we'd like to say mom you jump in maybe give an answer and then that will generate one of the other children answering or the dad can just directly call upon each of the children and say what do you think of this what, what's your opinion and that type of thing and then the discussion can go in any, you know any of many different directions and that's good mm-hmm. and even if it goes off subject but you're still talking about the things of god that's good because the point the whole point is that If you don't discuss the things of God as a family, the things of God don't tend to become real to children. But if you're actually discussing them day by day, it all becomes real. This becomes reality. This becomes the most important part of the day, the most important part of my life. And the things of God become vibrant, vital, the Puritans would say. Uh, Living, breathing. And that's what we want in family worship. We want real communion with God and real communion with each other.
0: I know that's something that in my own family, I've got three kids and married and it's just reflecting on family worship. We've tried to do it. We've stopped and started so many times in the past. And as someone like myself who went to seminary and has studied the Bible for a long time, um, I felt like I should have a leg up. You know and that was mm. probably quite presumptuous of me to think that mm. simply because I've had the training mm-hmm. but the reality of family life as we all know is is quite chaotic at times and yet yeah. as I've reflected on this topic of family worship we all have established patterns in our day-to-day family life whether it's okay around this time is the the meal is cooked and around this time the children are off to school and so we set This hierarchy of priorities throughout the day, and I'm ashamed to say that oftentimes family worship has fallen away as this extraneous option. Um, But just reading the introduction of the Family Worship Bible Guide, you're quite adamant that this is no option,
1: right? So, yeah, my my whole point is that this is the most important part of your life as a father, and this is your bounden duty before God. So you don't think about skipping it any day. The only day we don't do it is Sunday because we go straight from the dinner table to church for a second service and we're worshiping God all day long. Um, But it would be good to do it on Sunday as well. But if if I were not to do it when our kids were home, if I were not to do it for one day after we kick back after the dinner, my kids would look at me and go. What happened to you, dad? Are you sick? (laughs) You You know, so, you know, and every excuse we use as men to get ourselves out of it is in vain. You know, I've heard men say, well, I'm so tired after, after supper. I just, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do a 10 minute family worship. And I say like, oh, come on. You know, if your savior could carry his cross. All the way to Golgotha mm. and was nearly succumbing beneath it, but went and died for you. Can't you at least live for him and living for him means, first of all, doing family worship 10 minutes a day. You can do 10 minutes. You really can. And so you just don't allow yourself any excuse. Uh, other dads have told me, oh, you know, I just I can't do it when I've after I've just yelled at a kid, you know, and I just feel totally out of sorts. Well, that's, that's when you need to do it all the more. You've got to confess your guilt to God. you got to ask for repentance in front of your children and do family worship. So it's like brushing your teeth. It's like going to the bathroom. It's like you said, these habits. It's like eating meals. You, you don't skip that because, well, you, you just have to do these things. This is a, a habit. The Puritans spoke a lot about developing holy habits, and this is one of them, family worship. So, on the Puritans, because
0: you, of course, have said that's an understatement, but you've studied the Puritans extensively. Um, This practice of family worship, did it begin with the Puritans or does it predate them? And then the next question would be why look to the Puritans uh, as an example of family worship?
2: Would you like to deepen your understanding of reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4: Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org/rst4.
1: It does predate the Puritans a bit, but the Puritans were more thorough in family worship than any group before them. And by Puritans, I mean also Puritans with a small p, so I would include the, the Scottish Covenanters and Divines and uh, German Pietists and the Dutch, and the New England Puritans as well as the English Puritans. And uh, they, they grounded it more in Scripture. So for the four parts of family worship, for example, um, overall, they grounded in, in texts like uh, Joshua twenty four fifteen. As for me and my family, we will serve or we will worship the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, we'll teach our children daily, diligently. Um, and then they went for specific parts. They went to 2 Timothy 3 for the daily reading of Scripture. They went to... Um, Uh, Texts like uh, Deuteronomy 6 about speaking to your children when you sit up when you lay down Uh, so these are daily activities uh, that you speak to your children about what you're reading Um, and they went to Psalm 118 verse 15 music is heard in the tents of the righteous and they said that was family worship singing every day Um, and of course prayer is a whole bunch of texts that we should never forsake the, sem- the assembling of ourselves together as a family for prayer. Uh, Thomas Brooks said powerful testimony. He said the family, a family that doesn't pray together every day is like a house without a roof exposed to all the storms of heaven. Well, that's a pretty frightening thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, Jeremiah in Jeremiah, we read that uh, the fury of God is poured out on the family that does not pray together.
2: Uh,
1: That's amazing. And of course, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, I think it's 4, chapter 4, is it 4 and 5, that everything should be sanctified by prayer. So the Puritans amass all of this together. They write whole books on it. Several Puritans wrote books on family worship, and they made it their daily practice. And they called it a little Worship service in your home. It was preparatory for the next Lord's Day. It was a very good way of training children to sit still in family <laughs> worship, so that they could join the, the the public worship at a very young age, two or three at the most. And um, they would not allow any interruptions during family worship because it was so sacred. So translate in, that into today: if the phone rings, you don't. You, nobody bats an eyelash when the phone rings when you're doing family worship. Because they'll they'll leave a message on the answering machine or they'll call back. You're in the audience of the King of Kings. This is the most important thing you're doing. This is sacred time
0: with your family. That's an interesting statement you just made about um, being essentially in the presence of the King. So I feel like that's something that's quite overlooked in this practice of family worship because the emphasis is so much on The man or the woman who's leading, um, the worship, um, you know, to their children. And so it's a very, it's a very human centric practice that can come across as sometimes. And I've even had discussions with people who think it's almost legalistic to impose such a thing upon your family. Uh, you know, maybe you should be a bit more libertarian about things. Um, but, but Ultimately, when we're doing this, we're, we're coming before God. It's this sense of Coram Deo. Tell, speak more about the, the gravity of what we're actually doing in yeah. worship before God.
1: Yeah. So, so the Puritans are saying fellowship time with your family is important on the horizontal level. And fellowship time with your family, with God, is important on the vertical level. So, say you have a meal together. Imagine if the dad said, uh, no, one, no one can talk at this meal. No one can talk at all. We're just going to eat. It's, a, wow, That something's wrong with that. There's no fellowship in this family. Uh, it's unnatural. So, the point is... This is not legalistic. This is not a fake thing. It's exactly the opposite. When you then kick back, and at least we did that. We we did family worship directly after supper, best time of the day for us to do it. Um, And you automatically go to family worship, and this becomes a holy habit. Mm. This becomes very natural. And really in the presence of God you're then developing the vertical relationship and you're recognizing the biblical balance that we need both the vertical and the horizontal and you're just bringing them together. It's all, it's all very natural. Now, it doesn't mean that in family worship there can be no laughter. It doesn't mean that there can't be um, a little bit of teasing even at times uh, as, you, as you discuss questions or disagree with each other. Uh, it should be natural. But overall, there should be a sense of we're in the presence of God. So there's a there's an earnestness. Uh, Moses in Deuteronomy 6 calls it diligence. Mm. So the Father is, is diligent. This is important. Uh, this is the most important part of our, our day. Mm. So if I can give you an example that just really happened to me, literally, that that Underscores this for me personally is when I was in an Eastern European country. I came out of a lecturing on systematic theology, went to my apartment flat, and as I went to close the door, two guys, you know, pushed the door open. One guy hit me, and they they um, bound me with my hands tied behind my back and around my eyes and around my ankles and put a rag in my mouth to gag me and they took everything from me and they kept shouting they have the mafia and I was absolutely convinced that I I was a dead man Hmm. in fact I laid there and prayed and uh, God was very gracious to me when I laid there by giving promise and promise which I didn't initiate but God put into my mind that's how I felt And all about the blood of Christ and how my salvation was secure in that blood. And I was at peace for myself. I actually did not even pray that I would live. I just thought that was impossible. I was commending my children, my wife, various ministries to God. But in the middle of that, all of a sudden, I thought, what would I say to my children if I could speak to them one more time? Now... I have lots of shortcomings as a dad, and I wish I would have spent more time with my kids, all these things, of course. But I realized at that special moment in my life that if it weren't for family worship, there'd be hundreds of things Mm -hmm. I would never have spoken to my kids about. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't think of anything that I hadn't spoken to them about already thanks to this holy book <laughs> and thanks to you know I mean just take the book of Proverbs alone you know you it talks about every subject under the sun all the temptations all the joys all the sorrows of life think of the Psalms and so you end up talking with your children about all these things so family worship is just a huge tool to help you live out your responsibility to train your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in every way shape and form mm mm it's a it's
0: almost daunting though, isn't it? I mean, as a father, I think okay, if I start the family worship Bible guide tomorrow, that's twelve hundred say chapters to get through in the Bible one thousand one hundred and sixty nine yeah yeah so <laughs> I'm rounding up <laughs> so that's three or four years of of diligence, yeah and uh In today's world, that that sounds like quite a long time. So what encouragement can you offer to families, to heads of families?
1: Yeah. Well, once you get in the habit, once you do it for more than a month, it'll become a routine. Mm. And then you then you don't even think of those categories anymore. But I mean, I've done the math. And I've, I, I've, I've said, if your child lives in your home for 20 years, from the time the baby's born to the time that 20-year-old walks, you've got 7,300 opportunities to speak to your children in formal family worship day by day. Oh, wow. And yeah. you think that's a lot, but you blink a couple times and mm-hmm. they're gone. I mean, my wife and I are empty nesters now, but we're so in the habit of doing family worship that we, we just continue to do family worship, just the two of us, mm-hmm. like normal. And we love it. And we ask ourselves the same questions still to today. Um, and it becomes just a, a, a holy habit. And you get used to, we don't want to rush through the Bible. You get used to taking three, four, five years to get through the Bible. I think sometimes it took us more than, yeah. um, I'd say it probably took us five years. Because yeah. we, we talked our way slowly through it. And lots of times we didn't read a whole chapter. Sometimes we just read 12, 15 verses, especially in Paul's epistles. You know, they're so weighty. There's so much to talk about. And so we went through, I guess we went through four times, maybe the whole Bible with our children, which if we rush through it, yeah, we could have gone through it 10 times. But I think it's better to go slowly and meditatively and prayerfully and uh, talk more thoroughly than to try to read 30 40 verses and skim over the surface
0: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah and and the neat thing is really neat thing is when you when it becomes a holy habit in your family and your and your children marry believers and they are believers they don't even think about shall we do family worship or not because it's been a holy habit in their family for 20 years right so they just automatically do it I didn't even have to ask my children, are you going to do family worship uh, in your family? That would be like asking them, when you get married, are you going to brush your teeth? (laughs) Well, of course they're going to do it. So the question isn't, are we going to do it? And see, that's what happens after you've done it for a month and you begin to feel the benefits of it. It's no longer a question, are we going to do it? The question then becomes, oh God, help me to do this to the edification of my family, help me to do it well. Uh, let thy blessing be upon our meager efforts Mm -hmm. you know it's not a matter of just like on Sunday it's not a matter if you're a Christian are we going to go to church or are we not are we going to skip this Sunday no it's a holy habit so you go you automatically go to the service that's not the point the point is Lord will will you bless me there and uh, will you help me to worship thee in spirit and truth there and bring thee glory there that's the question
0: So it's working through all the common obstacles. I'm tired. I'm just not feeling like it. Yeah. We're too busy. You know, Dad's gone, so we'll skip it.
2: What is the Christian parent's greatest responsibility? To teach their children to trust the one true living God. Enrich your family devotions from the Family Worship Bible Guide. This precious book offers rich devotional thoughts for children of all ages on every chapter in the Bible. To learn more about the Family Worship Bible Guide, visit heritagebooks.org.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. dad's gone, mom does it. You know, it's that simple. And uh, you just don't skip it. Never. So you, you, you. And I, I don't want to be mean or hard-nosed when I say this, but uh, from, I think, people who get in the habit of doing family worship think to themselves, God is worthy of this. Mm-hmm. And my conscience would Speak like a megaphone if I didn't do it. And so I like to tell people just stop worrying about, you know, am I going to skip it? I'm not going to. Just tell yourself, I'm, I'm not going to skip it. I'm going to do it. And, and discipline yourself. I mean, as Matthew Henry said, George Whitfield said something similar. It takes no uncommon ability to lead your family for 10 minutes in family worship. With just ordinary set of gifts, and now that you've got this, where the work is done for you, and all you've got to do is read it and then just generate a little discussion afterward. Oh, come on, you can do it. Man up, do it. You know, that's that's what I want to say to people, especially to fathers. You know, it, I look at it this way. We tend to take every important thing in life for granted. We tend to take our spouses for granted, our children for granted, our parents for granted, God for granted. In one way, when you don't do family worship, you're not only contradicting what the good book says in so many ways, in so many places, but you're just taking God for granted. You mean you're not even going to get down with your family and your knees for five, ten minutes a day to acknowledge the God to whom you owe everything? That seems pretty ungrateful to me.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. You know, Joshua said that when he was a hundred years old in his farewell address to Israel. and He was parting the scene. How did he know that the family was going to continue on and worship the Lord after he was gone? Well, because he set the pattern. And they're not going to drop that. Unless yeah. they're blatant unbelievers. Yeah.
0: So you you talk about these three primary aspects of family worship that, at least the way you describe it in in family worship Bible guide, these are essential. So there's to say it simply: word, prayer, music. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. And the word is subdivided into two thoughts, isn't it? It's the reading of the word and then the explaining of the word.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's three parts, or or you could call it four parts if you break those to and that the word section into two sections
0: so can we talk a little bit about these three aspects yeah um, because it's it seems like within each of them there's a there's different dynamics going on amongst the members of the family who are present yes where at certain times you would have typically the father leading uh, uh, for example an expo- explanation of what was being um, Of what was being looked at that day of what chapter was being gone through however when it comes to reading scripture you talk about introducing uh, the children into that part of it you know of course according to their age and ability and then when it comes to prayer i'm I'm, i would assume that would be kind of the same thing where you allow other members of the family to participate no yes that's the
1: way i did it i mean every father needs to find their own way there From what I can read in the Puritans, most of them, the father did pretty much all the praying, but I believe it's very important that we train our children to pray, even though the Holy Spirit can alone teach them to truly pray, Uh, but as they grow up. And uh, I've seen too many cases of people who become adults and haven't prayed aloud until until they get married, and then the man feels very inadequate to Mm -hmm. pray. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so the important thing is that the father's the head of the home, and he he leads to family worship. So, uh, typically, I would say to my family, "Okay, tonight we're reading um, 15 verses. I tell them the verses. Everyone has a Bible on their lap. Um, some of them we used to use different study notes, so we could ask each other different what different notes say about a particular question and compare. But um, we would we would then um, each I'd say uh, three children. So there's five of us." so each of you read uh, three verses beginning with so and so and we go around the circle and um, then when we get done reading I would, I would pray um, and then we would read the family worship Bible guide notes and we'd discuss for, when the kids were young our discussion probably lasted three minutes <laughs> as they got a bit older maybe five maybe sometimes seven unpredictable sometimes maybe one child would stay after family worship was all over and and talk with more questions uh, other times no the whole family worship was maybe 10 12 minutes but after the um, after the discussion then we would have prayer again so we Actually, most of the time I'd pray first before I even read the scriptures, actually. So we, we bookend the family worship with prayer. But then I say to them, I said, Mary, Kelvin, Lydia, Esther, you know, whichever one's turn it is to close with prayer. So I found that quite helpful that I would set the tone with an opening prayer. And then one of them would, would, would close in prayer. Now, what, what it happened naturally, actually, my son was on my lap. I always took the little kids on my lap when I did family worship because you want to look them eyeball to eyeball, right? You don't want any distractions. And um, when Calvin was three years old, he's our firstborn, uh, he said to me one day, Dad, can I do the daddy's prayer instead of just his form prayer? And I thought, hmm, well, why not? So I said, okay, I'll whisper some things into your ear. You say them. I'll whisper a few more, you say them. And we did that for a whole year when it was his turn to pray. And then when he was four, I said, okay, now you're four. You're learning to think better on your own. You start out the prayer. And when you're stuck, you just kind of poke me uh, with your elbow in my stomach. And I'll know you need some help and I'll jump in. And we did that from four to seven. And then when he was seven years old, I said, okay, now you take the whole prayer. And... um, Looking back, I think, I think that was a wise thing to do because by the time they were about seven, I mean, I think God bless us, they could, they could, they could handle a whole prayer on their own. I mean, once in a while, you, you have to correct a little bit of misguided theology. <laughs> but uh, by the time they were seven, they were, they, were, they were praying the whole prayer on their own. And if they had friends come over, one of our children was still a little reluctant to pray, being very, very natively shy. But the other two would f- pray very freely in front of their friends, and mm-hmm. so that stigma of praying was gone. And then, of course, that's not salvation. You kids still need to be born again. Yeah. But um, we we found that very helpful. And then after they pray, then we would always sing. Um, and the beauty of singing, we would sing mostly psalters. Uh, from our from our Psalter book, which has four hundred and fifty selections, is when you do that every single day, it's amazing how kids can memorize. And so most of the time when they were in their teen years, we didn't even none of us cracked open a book for the Psalter. We just I would just start singing a certain tune and they'd all chip in or we'd say, Oh, number so and so and everybody would know what it was and we'd sing away, you know, and our daughter would Move over to the piano. She was a really good piano player, and play. Or we'd stand around her in the piano. Ah, oh, it's great. I, that's that's the one thing I miss about the kids not being home more than anything else. Standing around that piano, singing praises to God. So, those become happy times. Yes, they're sober, but they're happy times. Mm-hmm. They're sacred times. Um, they're conscience-satisfying times and uh, their eternity preparing times
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but what about families that
0: maybe there's not so much musical ability oh or that's me (laughs) (laughs) yeah or uh i can imagine there are families who may come from from different spheres of the you know the christian landscape for example who have no idea what the Psalter is or they don't use hymnals and their uh, music kind of Christian song repertoire is quite limited so you know do you have a volume two maybe with the Psalter included or do you have some way to encourage those families
1: yeah you, can, you can write heritagebooks.org and you can get <laughs> the Psalter I think it's $12 or something like that it's not very much and you start singing it and and it uh, d- doesn't matter if you're a little bit off tune. I'm a terrible singer. At least everyone tells me that. Uh, to me, I sound like I'm on tune, but nobody else thinks. <laughs> so, I mean, in family worship, our kids would sometimes joke with me, say, Dad, you were actually on tune there for about three notes in a row. <laughs> and, and they were all on tune. So, But they encouraged me to sing. They said, we'd like to hear you sing, even if it's off tune. Mm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord doesn't say make a joyful noise to the Lord on tune, <laughs> but in heaven we'll all be on tune, right? So that's, that's a great, a great uh, thought for me. So yeah, I'm a terrible singer. But yeah, when our daughter got married, we missed not having the musical instrument there. But um, you can still sing a cappella, it's just fine.
2: Want to start reading the Puritans, but don't know where to begin? Puritan Treasures for Today from Reformation Heritage Books makes the riches of these godly writers of old accessible for the modern reader. With updated language and helpful introductions, these classic works from John Owen, Jeremiah Burroughs, and others are the perfect starting point for the curious reader. Learn more about Puritan Treasures for today at heritagebooks.org forward slash Puritan Treasures. I'm really curious to know,
0: in your own experience, did this inclination, I would even call it an urgency on your part towards family worship, is this something that was... Built into you when you were young by your father your mother is this something that you came about or maybe there was a part of that but that it was strengthened through your study of the Puritans and the reason I asked this question is because it's not common these days um, in, yeah. the, in amongst most Christians I would say and so a lot of us are going to need
1: to start from nothing right right yeah so Yes, I didn't start from nothing because my dad, you know, belonged to the Dutch tradition. So the Dutch tradition was this. You pray before the meal and usually it's, um, it's not just a one minute prayer. Usually it's a three to four minute prayer where you pray about a number of things. You're, you're, you know, the acts formula, you adore God, you confess your sins, you thank the Lord and then you supplicate. That would be typical. And my dad could pray really well. He'd often pray with tears streaming down his face. Uh, He prayed very affectionately. I mean, How many times I heard him pray, Lord, we can't miss any of our children in heaven. Please, please save them all. Please save them all now. Um, Or he'd say, um, let our lives be nothing but preparations to meet our maker and our creator in peace and in the righteousness of Christ. I mean, he must have said that a thousand times. So there were memorable things that he would say um, in prayer that made deep impressions, I'm sure, on all five of us siblings. But then at the end of the meal, uh, in the Dutch tradition, you always read a portion of Scripture. This is just standard Reformed church members. They would all do that. And then you would pray again. And um, some dads would pray just our Father which art in heaven at the end. Or they'd do it vice versa. Mm-hmm. Have an opening, our Father which art in heaven. But then the end would be the, the you know, the more heartfelt prayer. Um, but that's it. And there'd be no talking about it. And there would be no sharing of the reading. And no sharing mm-hmm. of the prayer. Mm-hmm. Dad would just do everything. Uh, and so kids would tune out. Yeah. Uh, very very easily. Yeah. And there'd be no singing. Uh, that that was that's the typical Dutch Reformed background. So that's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. But my dad was a very godly man, so his prayers were very earnest, and so that meant a lot. But when I was three years old, when my son sorry, when my son was three years old, then um, I got an assignment to to speak on family worship in South Africa. That's what changed my life. I spent the better part of a summer preparing for that address. Because I began to realize as I read the old literature, wow, this was a much bigger deal in the 16th, 17th century than it is today. And I was so convicted by the time I had my notes prepared that I said to my wife, this is how we're going to change our family worship. And so I brought in the singing. I brought in the, the speaking to, to to the children yeah. um, and the, the conversation and dialogue and the, the ketekeo, as the Puritans call it, with a Q&A where you'd ask each child one question um, according to their age age range. And so then I went to South Africa and I spoke, I think, five times there. And the talk on family worship made far more impression than all the other four combined and I went to my room right afterwards I felt the Lord really helped me in a wonderful, unusually wonderful way Um, and I was very convicted of what I was saying and I came back to the um, cafeteria where they were having lunch I, I, I went to my room and just prayed for a while that God would bless it and I came back and when I got in there it was like everybody was eating but no one was saying a word mm-hmm. it was quiet you know what a cafeteria sounds like so i asked the guy next to me i said what's going on he goes well the president of pachastrom university a university of 20 some thousand, thousand students was asked to pray before the meal and he just broke down and said i've been guilty of not doing family worship mm. and he said i want every fam or every minister in this conference, I want you to order, these are the old days of cassette tapes, I want you to order enough cassette tapes for every family in your church. Oh, wow. And I want you to encourage family worship. And um, apparently this man made so much impression with his prayer of confession that after he said amen, nobody talked. They just were all... so. There was a, a sense of the Lord's convicting presence at, at that moment, that I've, something I've seldom felt at a, at a conference. Well, after the, the meal, this man came over to meet me and he said, um, I want you to promise me one thing. I want you to turn this talk into a book and, mm-hmm. and tell people how to do it. You need to publish this. This is a missing art today, missing spiritual discipline. I promised him on the spot I would do that. So that that's actually how this book was born, Family Worship. So this is the accompanying volume to the Family Worship Bible Guide, where a father can read through this in an hour and a half, maybe two hours max, and it walks you through each part of family worship. It gives you five, ten different practical guides how to do each part. Um, And some of it is just my own suggestions, not on the authority of God's word, but just to help you do it in an edifying way. Mm -hmm. And um, then I began to, uh, when I had choice of subject, when I would go to different countries, I I would speak on this a lot. And so uh, I had something very special. when I spoke at Piper's conference, too, about 10 years later to 1,800 ministers about family worship. Uh, John Piper actually wrote me a letter and said, I've heard you speak on family worship, but I want you to do it to ministers because even ministers aren't doing it, Mm -hmm. but I want you to persuade them to go out and have their congregations do it. And um, well, I can easily, honestly say that that talk I gave at that conference God used, as far as I know, more than anything else I've ever done in my in my entire life. There, we had 500 copies of this this book, there, and after I talked, they were all gone within 20 minutes. People were reaching, grabbing two, three, four for their <laughs> colleagues that weren't there, and it was it was amazing. And many of them were weeping during the talk.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. um, I never did anything in my life where I, I honestly where I got they were close, that many letters afterwards. But the encouraging thing was they weren't just letters. They were letters for people who said, I followed your guidelines, and my, my family worship time has been transformed. And mm. I, I didn't realize what I was missing. I just didn't know about it. And so that, in turn, encouraged me to speak more and more about it. So now, I, I don't know how many times I've spoken about it in different conferences, but well, well over 150 to 200 times. And I just feel like it's a calling on me now to speak about it um, in many places around the world. Because it's such a blessing to families. And it's, families just don't realize how rich it is. And You know, even talking to your children about the facts of life when they get to be, what, 10 or 11 years old or so. Um, you want to beat the worldly friends, of course and you want to be the first to, to, to tell them about it in a pure way. Yeah. Um, I was a little nervous the first time I talked to my son about that, but he wasn't because, well, family worship, we speak about the most intimate experiences in family worship. In family worship I tell them, if we come across a verse that was made precious to me, I tell them what condition I was in, how the Lord spoke that verse to me with power and most intimate spiritual experiences. My kids know so to talk about intimate physical experiences was, to my son, that was of a lesser <laughs> <laughs> lesser problem or a lesser intensity. So I said to him at the end of my talk, after I explained the facts of life, I said, so if you have any other questions, just come to me anytime. He said, no problem. What's for supper? You know, it was just very easy. But I had thought it was going to be difficult. But I thought about it later. Why did it seem so easy? It's because of family worship. And then think about this: how many kids, when they become teenagers, tend to kind of clam up in front of their parents? yeah because you're just talking about everyday things with your kids, not really about heart issues but if you do family worship diligently, every day you're talking about heart issues you're being very open you're being vulnerable, you confess some of your sins to your kids within reason mm. And so they're not just going to turn you off when they're 13, 14 years old, when they're used to talking to you about everything. So you just continue the dialogue. So I, I say family worship is like putting money in the bank for future years, yeah. for teen years as yeah. well. And it helps you in every area of, uh, of family family uh, living.
0: But but there are plenty of families who are going to to see this or hear this. Uh, or I know a lot of those uh, talks that you've given, you can find them online or on YouTube, which is great, but you know, some parents are going to listen to this and their kids are going to be 16, 17 about mm. to leave for, home for good. They haven't done this at all. Maybe they're newly come to faith and there's going to be a lot of conviction that, oh, why couldn't I have started this when they were yeah. three years old?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, and I answer that in some of my talks. I I try to address that because I'm I'm well aware of that. And I I say to parents, don't be discouraged. God restores the years that the locusts have eaten. That's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite Mm -hmm. texts to answer that. And so what happens, I say, what you need to do is you need to just go home. You need to get your kids around you and say, children, I've I've got a confession to make. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know. I heard a talk today about family worship or yesterday, whatever. And I didn't know that I should be doing this. Or maybe you'll have to say hey, I knew I should be doing it but I've neglected it. But either way you confess your guilt to your kids and then you say "And please help your dad begin this. I'm going to do it in a very simple way. I'm going to start out just doing it one or two minutes. We might build it up to five to ten. But every day we're going to just say a little bit about the Lord. And we're going to use this family worship Bible guide If that 16-year-old says, well, I'm not going to participate, you say, well, son, really, please, please, please cooperate with me. I feel very deeply about this, Mm -hmm. and I've been neglectful, and I want to make up for the time. And if he still grumbles, you say, son, you're under our roof, and you receive physical food every day from your mother and me, and uh, we feel called to give you spiritual food as well. And then if he still objects, you just say, I'm sorry, you will, you will participate. You're in this household. Uh, and this is my calling. And so it's your calling to, to join us and to receive spiritual food.
0: So that's how serious this is. Yeah. Because I think um, I've heard, and you and I talked a little before this about, that the Puritans would actually, in some cases, have church discipline initiated if a family didn't do family worship is that is that true or,
1: or yeah certain congregations I don't think it was the majority of the congregations yeah. majority of the congregations the, when the elders would come over and visit the families um, often once a year uh, in, in the Dutch circles that really always happened um, they call it heist house visitation or we would say family visitation once a year An elder and a minister or two elders would come over and see you and ask you how things are going, spiritually in your family. They would talk to each family member, ask Mm -hmm. them how their souls are faring under the preached word and are they doing their daily devotions. And then they would look at you and say, um, and how is family worship going for you? And if you were to say, oh, I have a confession to make, I'm I'm, I'm not doing it, they would... uh, lovingly admonish you, and then they would say, well, we'll come by next year again, and if you're not doing it, we're going to have to warn you seriously. Mm. Now, some churches just stopped with that, most of them, I think. But there were some churches that said, because you're failing in the primary duty of fathering, um, if we come back next year and you, you, you don't, still have a track record of doing family worship, will put you under what they call quiet censor. They wouldn't excommunicate you for it, but they're under quiet censor, which means that you would be forbidden from the use of the sacraments, so you wouldn't be able to attend the Lord's Supper. Wow. But that was not common, but yeah. it, was, it was there. But you see, the, they reasoned this way that the Puritans were very much oriented toward covenanting, It wasn't just covenant of works, covenant of redemption, covenant of grace in their theology. They also believed that marriage was a covenant, Malachi 2.14, between husband and wife. And they believed that you covenant your whole life away to God who covenanted himself to you. Mm -hmm. And so part of that covenanting concept, um, you'd often sign a covenant too when you joined the church, that you would raise your children the fear of the Lord and engage in family worship. That was part of the covenant you signed. So you knew it was your responsibility. Yeah.
0: So is family worship a sacrament? No, of course not. <laughs>
1: no, that's no, not a sacrament. Yeah.
0: Well, the last question I have to use is this. If, if families were to start doing this across the board in terms of the Christian Christian landscape what would be the results Mm. on a family level on on a national level even globally wow like what what happens we know it's a good thing but why what what occurs because of us committing to this and doing it consistently
1: Well, there's lots of benefits from it, but, uh, you know, what the end result would be, I I can't say. Would the Lord bring in a worldwide revival? You know, the Lord alone knows because he's sovereign and gracious. And I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen, if families were earnestly. I mean, it's not just a matter of going through the perfunctory duties. But, I mean, if families around the world, Christian families around the world were really engaging in family worship uh, every day, the way Moses said you should talk to your children diligently and with passion. Wow. The world, the world would certainly be a different place. Mm-hmm. There'd be a lot more godliness in the public sphere. Um, there'd be a lot more courage of Christians to stand up for what's right. Uh, there'd be a lot more genuine piety. There'd be a lot more converse between God's people, talking about the ways of God, uh, a lot of things like that. But there would also be other benefits. I mentioned a couple of them, like freedom to talk to your children about anything, um, the preparation for adulthood. Um, the children learn how to do family worship by watching their parents. And so they, from the get-go, when they get married, they set a spiritual tone to their family life. Um, for you as a parent, you have a sense of peace of conscience. I mean, I have failed in so many things as a parent. <laughs> think of how many mistakes you make as a parent. You know, you you hold your head in shame. And even in family worship. But still there's a peace of conscience when you've brought your children up with family worship that you you want to leave behind a legacy Mm -hmm. that can best be left behind by family worship. So I, I know one of my children went on a mission trip, and there was a man who was a little bit nosy with that child. And asked what it was like to, to live um, with, with me as his dad, as a pastor. And my son felt the question was kind of nosy, so he kind of avoided it. But the guy persisted three times. And finally, my son looked at him and said, um, Well, look, he said, if you want to know the truth, my dad has his flaws and his faults. But I know he loves the Lord Jesus Christ, because I can feel it, especially in family worship. Mm-hmm. You know, and the man the man who who probed <laughs> he came back to me and he confessed his guilt in trying to <laughs> he told me that story my son didn't tell me that, but this man told me that that uh, that's what my son said, and it, it broke me it broke me actually I, I wept over it because mm-hmm. I feel like I've come short in every area, yeah. also in family worship so I want to just say a word of encouragement to anyone listening to this that um, don't, don't make this a mountain above what you need to make it. Take it seriously, implement it humbly, simply, pray for a blessing over it, but just do it. You can do it. And um, yes, it'll be with shortcomings. When my wife get down on our knees now of course our kids are all gone out of the home, but I don't know how many times we prayed this way at night when we you know when we go to bed, we get down on our knees together, she prays one night, I pray the next night. And we would say, oh, Lord, please bless our feeble efforts today in family worship to the eternal well-being of our children. Mm. And, uh, you know, God has a way of exceeding, exceeding what we do. He blesses it. He does abundantly, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And uh, what a blessing it is when the children... Leave the house and continue to walk in the ways of the Lord, and you have to look at your wife and say, "You know what? Our kids turned out better, better than we raised them." <laughs> I mean, He's gracious, right? Yeah. And of course, God sometimes, in His sovereign, sovereign deep ways, there's a child here or a child there that doesn't respond, and it's a cross, and it keeps parents on praying ground, and and uh, but I would say even then. You know, keep pleading his covenant mercies. And, you know, I had a niece who got saved about 10 years ago, and she said, You know, when I got saved, all those family worships and church services and all the instruction my parents gave me, it all came back to me like a flood, you know, and suddenly I could embrace it all. Mm-hmm. You know, so who can tell? God's a faithfully covenant God, and keep praying. Come to him for forgiveness, begin family worship, look to him for blessing. It all depends on him. And he's gracious, but you use the means. And you do what you're called to do humbly, simply, faithfully, and uh, leave the blessing to God. Mm. Thanks for this, Joel. Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to All of Life for God by Reformation Heritage Books. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. Reformation Heritage Books is a non-profit ministry aiming to strengthen the church through Reformed, Puritan, and experiential literature. To learn more about this ministry and how to support us, please visit RHB dot o-r-g